0: Crippling millions of people, many of them fresh out of college. Student debt has tripled in the past decade. Massive student loan debt that we're dealing with right now. They are
1: literally going
2: escape. Student
1: loan debt in America. Student debt in the U.S. Student loan,
2: student, loan student loan debt. Student loan debt. Student loan debt. This system is so screwed up right now, I think this could be the next subprime crisis.
0: Welcome to Higher EduStation, the podcast series hosted by your favorites, Katria and Leanne. Today's topic is the crisis surrounding student loan debt.
3: The $1.5 trillion one, to be exact.
0: Ten years after the 2008 financial crisis, there are headlines of record low unemployment rates and a booming economy. Yet one area has worsened over the decade and threatens that recovery. Student debt. Constantly we're told devastating stories of students who go chasing the dream of American white-collar success only to be left burdened by their all-consuming student loan debt. A debt 7 out of 10 college students graduated last year with. However, how did this come to be? And what can we do going forward? In this podcast, we will be delving into the economics that surrounds student loans and interviewing experts with differing perspectives among the field to gain a comprehensive view of the issue at large. What
3: we're experiencing today is a perfect storm of sorts in student loans. Over the past decade, we've seen not only rising costs of college tuition, but also rising attendance rates, such that more people are pursuing
0: a higher education than ever before. Between rising enrollment, costs and inflation, graduates are finding themselves in more debt than their predecessors, causing their debt number to continue rising from less than $500 million in 2006 to the $1.5 trillion we see today.
3: I just want to emphasize that for a second. There's more than $1.5 trillion currently owed on student debt. $1.5 trillion is a big number, bigger than credit card debt of Americans and second only to mortgages. To get some of the real-life experiences behind these numbers, we spoke with Cody Hunian, program director of the nonprofit Student Debt Crisis.
1: The thing that most people talk about is the impact of student debt on the economy, right? So there's 1.5 trillion dollars, and there's 45 million of us with student debt directly. But I, I think it's also really important to really hone in on that personal student debt crisis that every one of us faces, um, because it is really a crisis for these families. People are, you know, sacrificing food on the table, health care, and other necessities just to pay back this debt. And I think that's a symbolic of the more personal crisis that we're facing, of course. Um, you know, in my family alone, I had student debt. My parents had to take out student loans to help me. And my grandparents had to co-sign some of my debt. So there's three generations uh, of all ages in my family impacted by student debt. And so often lawmakers and even, you know, some folks on your friends, you know, reporting on these stories frame it as just purely a student, a millennial, or a young person issue, and it just isn't.
0: Student debt is not just an economic or millennial issue. It's a personal issue that affects generations of borrowers across the country. It's clear that student debt is a national
3: crisis, and in 2010, it quite literally became a federal issue when students began borrowing directly from the government eventually turning the Department of Education into the largest bank in America.
0: An important consideration here is why the government would be involved in student loans in the first place. I mean, put simply, education is not a pure public good. Think about it. Higher education is clearly rival in the sense that having more students in a classroom will lower the quality of instruction, and in many ways excludable, too, in the sense that one student's acceptance could mean another student's rejection.
3: Higher education allows students to effectively invest in themselves increasing their human capital to earn higher wages after graduation. However, due to the high cost of college, this opportunity for growth is not necessarily available to everyone because of a failure in the educational credit market.
0: Say there is a poor family with an extremely talented child. It would be socially optimal for this child to partake in higher education. However, without government intervention, finding a bank to loan the money would be difficult since unlike the loans people take out for their house, the government can't take someone's kid as collateral if they don't pay back their loans. Thus... Since the bank can't tell if the kid is a good investment or not, they'd be unlikely willing to hand out a loan. Without government intervention, then, higher-income families would simply provide more education and thus set their children up for higher future income, while children in low-income families, on the flip side, would not get the same chance. Or if they did get the chance, often they aren't fully aware of their options, a vulnerability that could easily be taken advantage of or lead them to entering less-than-ideal situations regarding student loans.
3: Thus, the government, both economically and paternalistically motivated, internalizes the market failure by subsidizing students higher education costs through student loans that guarantee a low interest rate and, if they qualify on income and asset grounds, allow them to defer payment until after they graduate. These government sponsored loans essentially make the investment of higher education more accessible across different socioeconomic classes, but are allowing for income mobility. However, even with the government intervention, there are a number of other complications that arise.
0: For example, there is an oversupply of education with a lack of demand, resulting in a society where roughly one-half of college graduates are working jobs that don't require a college degree and where college graduates are making the same as they did in 1979, yet paying quadrupled prices.
3: Still, college enrollment continues to increase, alongside astronomical prices. Why?
0: Well, Katria, good question. Some argue that student loans, false advertising, and social pressures that shame blue-collar lifestyles over-encourage students to make bad investments in their higher education. While government-sponsored student loans are important in a number of ways, such as eliminating educational credit market failures and allowing for income mobility, they also raise consumers' willingness to pay and assist in allowing colleges to increase their prices and enrollment rates without necessarily carrying out on one of their main purposes, employing students with appropriate postgraduate jobs. This touches upon one of the biggest problems with the current system, the abundance of misinformation and misconceptions that inhibit students and families from making economically sound decisions when it comes to higher education, resulting in the massive amount of student debt we see today.
3: To learn more about these misconceptions from both the economic and university standpoints, we sat down with Professor Nicole Simpson of Colgate University, an economist who has worked extensively on research surrounding student loans to discuss the situation facing student borrowers
4: students from certain um, socioeconomic backgrounds or, or lower income students or, or, or students from lower income backgrounds don't understand that some schools will actually you know give financial aid packages that are more generous even though their sticker price is a lot higher and so again trying to compare apples and oranges becomes very complicated and so I think Um, yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand how financial aid works. They don't understand, it, of course, how it works. at And then, of course, students and institutions, they just don't have the manpower, right, to do this sort of uh, advising. And so so then it's up to the parent and the student to sort it out. And it is super complicated because every school you're going to get, you know, every school you're accepted and you get kind of, a financial aid package but the bottom line they don't really tell you so what the cost of that college is gonna cost you after four years and so there's been some discussions recently about standardizing the letter that comes home and that it would because here's your financial aid package but here's the cost to you and here aggregated over four years this is what it would cost and then think about the interest over ten years compounding right what then is your final cost of college and so just so better information um, both on the parent and the student side but also on the institutions they can do a better job speaking with professor
3: simpson financial literacy or lack thereof emerged as a contributing factor to student debt that being said it seems like universities are aware of this and are doing a lot to help inform students and alleviate the weight of student loans at least where they can
0: on top of that the department of education the united states government is the group that owns our loans one would think that with the government on our side we wouldn't have such a massive debt problem however clearly this is not the case this came to light in our discussion with cody
1: we really identified that these borrowers are actually doing everything they can to try to pay back their student debt, mm-hmm. um, and there's really
2: systemic problems from student loan companies to the Department of Education that make it
1: really hard for them to do so, um, and it actually compounds their debt problem and makes it even harder to pay back. Mm-hmm. And these student loan servicing companies, which are paid for with you know American tax dollars, to help us uh, like pay our monthly bills and you know have an online platform to do so. Um, They actually spread misinformation or uh, push borrowers into more costly plans. So there's quite literally this problem of of the companies we have to work with to help us with our student debt are actually some of the worst actors when it comes to um, misinformation and, and misguidance.
3: That really stood out to me. Student loan servicers misleading borrowers. I would think that with the involvement of the Department of Education, there would be no room to manipulate borrowers especially if its involvement in the first place comes from a motivation of protecting these borrowers. We
0: did some research of our own and discovered just the opposite. While the Department of Education is acting as a massive bank, infrastructurally it can't manage student loans. So our loans are serviced by companies hired by the Department of Ed, companies that have been receiving a lot of negative press lately. It
3: appears to be quite common that borrowers call to get help refinancing their loans and are often pushed into forbearing them, even when there may be a better option available to them. With forbearance, interest on your debt will continue to accrue, and so the amount you pay back on your loans will end up increasing, with three years forbearance costing a borrower who initially owed $30,000, almost 6500 more. Income-driven repayment plans, on the other hand, avoid fees and adjust your payments according to your income. If you have no income, you have no payment. The question then arises of why borrowers would be encouraged to pursue forbearance if there exists some better option.
0: We see two cases where this could happen. In order to participate in federal student aid programs, colleges and universities need to maintain relatively low cohort default rates, or CDRs.
3: Now, if you're in forbearance, you can't default on your loans, so often consultants hired by universities to keep default rates low will be incentivized to encourage this option over others.
0: We see similar patterns with the student loan servicers contracted out by the Department of Education to service student loans. Loan servicers have come to perform forbearance simply because it's easier for them, taking only minutes to process compared to the days or weeks it takes other programs to process, allowing for them to handle more clients. In a 2018
3: report completed by the U.S. Government Accountability Office, it was revealed that the percentage of borrowers with loans and forbearance for at least half of the CDR period effectively doubled between 2009 and 2013 cohorts. These patterns of increasing rates of forbearance are important because they mean a significant portion of the growth in student loan debt was entirely avoidable and exists beyond increasing rates of attendance and cost. None of this inefficiency
0: would be possible if the consumers of student loans were perfectly informed.
3: Exactly. In the current system, if people don't take the step to educate themselves regarding their options, if they don't enter the playing field already familiar with the world of student loans, of borrowing and repayment, then they are depending on these people to tell them what to do, and they can very easily end up screwed over.
0: Financial literacy is central to a well-functioning student loan market. A market in which people aren't entirely aware of what they are buying or how to best pay for it cannot possibly be efficient. Having already touched on the role of financial literacy with Professor Simpson, we went to an expert on the matter to learn more about how exactly to tackle the financial literacy problem. April Hunt is a subject matter expert in financial literacy and college access with over 20 years of hands-on experience who currently works as a national outreach and financial literacy manager.
2: If if I had the answers, I would be a rich woman. I mean, I, I one-on-one one-on-one counseling makes a huge difference. But um, having the the manpower to be able to do that when you've got schools with you know 20,000 students, it's I would I'm not sure how to make it happen. Um, one-on-one gives the, the students the opportunity to ask questions, um, and it it gives the opportunity for whoever's doing the one-on-one counseling to ensure the students are comprehending what they're what they're what they're being told or what's being explained to them Um, plus a lot of students will um, overlook career technical education which um, is usually a lot less expensive than a traditional four-year university and skilled trades are in such high demand right now and then another I would think is um, a lot of students have built up in their minds that they, they're, they have to get to their dream school and it's the only place they can go regardless of how much it costs and if they don't get in or if they can't afford it, they think that their lives will be ruined um, and that's absolutely not the case. You can get um, an excellent education at a community college and then go on to a four, four-year college and you're spending a lot less money.
3: As April mentioned, there is no clear-cut solution to the student debt crisis. Such a widespread problem isn't likely to have a simple answer. That being said, Leanne and I want to touch on what some of the potential and commonly suggested solutions look like, and what their implications would be.
0: Now, if you remember from before, we're currently dealing with an oversupply of higher education such that there are 19 million plus graduates each decade that are left to fight over the only 7 million new jobs that require a college degree. While this is a key factor to the growth of student loan debt, it is often left out of the conversation. As valuable as a college degree is, we can't ignore the fact that a number of students are putting themselves tens of thousands of dollars in debt just to end up receiving a wage which they could have earned right out of high school. One solution
3: to this could be decreasing loans offered by the government to decrease the number of students who enroll. However, that would likely limit the opportunities of low-income families and leave higher education as a luxury good for the wealthy, propagating income disparities. By disregarding equity, this option is unlikely to be socially optimal and certainly would not align with the ideals of the American dream.
0: A different approach would be to have student loans be proportional to the expected income of a given major simultaneously putting the saved money towards increasing the minimum wage since it is usually easier for those majoring in engineering to pay back their loans than those majoring in liberal arts.
3: Also, since high-income majors such as science-based ones tend to use more resources such as extra lab hours. If they're using more capital and being provided with the added benefit of a higher income post-graduation, shouldn't they pay
0: more? The problem with this, though revolves around the fact that it would leave low-income students with a weird incentive to choose their major based off price rather than passion and ability, which could cause an oversupply of liberal arts majors and an undersupply of STEM majors, resulting in a mismatch of abilities such that those who would be most productive and thus socially beneficial in STEM majors may end up in blue-collar jobs or in liberal arts majors where their talents are not being fully utilized. As alluded to before, another solution could be centered around increasing financial
3: literacy, perhaps mandating it as part of the common core at the high school or elementary level. Doing so would hopefully ensure that when the time comes, students can better understand their choices, repayment plans, and could make more informed decisions on what degree of investment in higher education would be beneficial for them. A lot of students go to college not realizing the weight of student loans, choosing schools that would put them in more debt than others, and simply writing it off as, well, everyone has student loans, or loans are just part of college. By incorporating financial literacy and conversations about the reality of loans and the cost of higher education, hopefully we can spare future generations some of the troubling debt levels we see today.
0: And this goes beyond just higher education and loans. This class would have the potential to cover everything from taxes to healthcare to prenups. True. However, this change in core could be costly and would have to take away from other core subjects. It also might fail by encouraging too many smart, poor-income students not to go to college and may be an unproductive use of time for the wealthy public and private schools since many students may not pay attention, knowing their parents will pay regardless.
3: While there's no clear-cut solution, Leanne and I found the prospect of improving financial literacy to be the most promising and equitable way of addressing the student loan crisis. Of course, the radical movements we hear about today to forgive all student debt or move towards free or debt-free higher education sound alluring, but such cut-and-dry solutions may not address the whole picture. If we are to avoid market failures like the one we have with student loans, the underlying issues of misinformation need to be addressed. As always,
0: thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Leanne, and I'm Katria, and this has been Higher Edu Station.